you're new here, I want to welcome you. We started a series several months ago going through the book of Revelation, and then we got to about chapter 12 and 13, and uh, we took a little bit of a pause because we started focusing on sort of the contents of that chapter, which had to do with uh, spiritual and demonic type warfare. It addresses the issue of the dragon, which the dragon is another name for Satan and uh, his evil beings. And so what we wanted to try to do is sort of spend some time trying to understand the demonic activity in the world, uh, as well as demonic activity in our lives. And one of the main things that we're trying to convey is like what Paul said, is he said, we don't want to be... Uh, we don't want to be ignorant of the devices of the dragon, of evil, of the devil. Instead, we would rather try to be on guard so that we can withstand the evil in this world, so we can withstand the evil even in our own hearts, and we can withstand the devil, the attacks of the devil, the attempts of the devil to seduce, to tempt us to sin. And then once we sin, after being seduced, he kicks us in the face. He makes us feel horrible. We feel like we want to give up. We feel defiled. We feel, that was loud, we feel like we don't want to go to church. We don't want to read our Bible. We don't want to be a part of fellowship. And that is all part of succumbing to the dragon's attacks. So that's what we've been looking at. And we've essentially broken it down into two sections. The first of which is we want to understand the devices of the dragon. In other words, the ways in which the dragon works, some of those devices uh, we looked at, uh, there's actually mainly three different ways in which the dragon works, uh, is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And one of the things that we've been trying to point out about this is that these three are not separate, they're actually monolithic, they're united, they're congruent, they all work together for the distinct purpose of tripping us up of destroying us. In other words, when we fall into sin in our flesh, in ourselves, that's actually part of a demonic attack because he tempts us. He tempts us through the lust of the eyes, through the lust of the flesh, through the pride of life. Pride comes from, it's a characteristic trait of the dragon. It was lifted up, he was lifted up in pride. So oftentimes he'll tempt us to become prideful. What I'm trying to say is that oftentimes the way that the dragon works in bringing about his attacks upon our lives are not in sort of this hocus pocus, extravagance, uh, you know, head spinning on people's shoulders, Rosemary's baby, people levitating, throwing up green stuff. That's not, I'm trying to say is that is not typical in terms of demonic attack. What we've been trying to point out is that Satan's attacks are actually far more deviant, far more evil, and far more subtle. And the reality is, is that Satan is at work in our lives, for example, even in areas where we just are full of malice and hatred towards somebody else. Do you know that? If you hate somebody, that is a foothold for the dragon in your life. If you're stealing something, if you are a liar and you typically habitually live in a lying state, those are characteristic traits, those are footholds, those are windows and doors that you've left open in your life that allow for the dragon to attack. Does that make sense? So what we've been trying to say is that the dragon attacks in so many ways, oftentimes way more, farther beyond what we oftentimes care to identify or to recognize. And he loves it that way. In fact, I think if the dragon, Satan, could just cause all of us to believe 
that satanic activity only happens in extravagance, then he's won. He's won. Because now he's able to cause us to start looking out there, right? Out there on all the secular news stations, on everything that is, you know, anti-God, everything that is, you know, just evil in this world, and say, that's evil out there. And the devil's attempt is to get us to do that, because while we're doing that, we're totally ignoring the evil right here. Does that make sense? And we're deceived. We're deceived. We live in arrogance. We're deceived. We start pointing the fingers at everybody else. We become prideful. It's a characteristic trait of the dragon. We ourselves have been seduced and duped. And even though we might be trying to fight this spiritual warfare, warfare battle on that same front, we are using the dragon's bullets. And he supplies. And he's happy to supply them. As long as he can keep us prideful, as long as he can keep us arrogant, looking at the evil out there while ignoring the evil in here, then he's happy, he's one, and we continue to walk in giving uh, territory over to the dragon while God's kingdom is not pushing forward the way God desired for it to push forth. So what I want to try to continue to do today, that we started a couple weeks ago, is to look at the remedies. And we can look at all the devices. There's a lot of devices we looked at. I encourage you, if you've not been here for the past couple weeks, to go back onto our website, download the messages. They're all free. Really encourage you to listen to them. It's important for you to be aware of the devices of the dragon. But more importantly than the devices, or equally as important as the devices, is also to understand the remedies. What are the remedies in which God establishes to help us out so that we can fight a good fight, so that rather than succumbing to the attacks of the enemy... Rather than finding ourselves giving into his seduction and becoming defiled because of sinfulness and sinful activities and sinful, giving into sinful proclivities, we can actually come out victorious. So what we're going to be taking a look at now are sort of these remedies in which God provides for us so that we can be victorious. Last week, we looked at the very first remedy, and it was basically this. It was Jesus is, first and foremost, the dragon slayer. So if you're talking about spiritual warfare, if you find that the evil in your life is far too difficult to fathom, you feel overwhelmed by it, you don't know how to overcome it, you feel as if you're giving into it, and you feel guilty because of that, what we said last week, first and foremost, you need Jesus. You ultimately need Jesus. That's not just, you know, some Christian using Christian slang and saying to non-Christians you need Jesus. This is me, a fellow brother in Christ, a journeyman with you guys, with you. Just not me, pastor, but me, fellow saint, with you guys, saying we're, as Christians, we need Jesus. We need to keep looking to Jesus, pushing each other towards Jesus, urging each other on towards faith and good works in Christ so that the darkness doesn't overcome us, okay? So we looked first and foremost last week that the first remedy is Jesus. We're going to look at now today is uh, actually, since I didn't get very far first service, I'm actually going to go the same length as I did first service. And uh, I'm hoping to, by the time that we end today, to provide some opportunity for some questions and answers uh, you guys can ask the questions, and I'll try my best to give some answers. Uh, you're like, does he normally do this? Answer, no. Uh, normally don't do this. Why? Because nut jobs, all right? Sometimes nut jobs usually take the mic and just want to talk. So I'm very nervous, to be quite frank. I will pray against this, all right? But the reality is, I want to hear questions that maybe some of you guys have. 
So I know some of you guys struggle with this type of stuff. There's some good things. I've asked for some people to email. A lot of you guys have sent emails to me, Facebook messages and whatnot. They're really good, and I've tried to answer some of them online. I'm going to do the best that I can to try to answer some of them right now at the end. Uh, so you can be thinking about these. So at the very end, when I do ask, does anybody have any questions? There's not this deafening silence for like 35 seconds, and people are like, whoa, what should we say? So Think about them right now. You can jot them down right now. If you want to write them down while we're talking, that'd be great. I'll try to get to them at the end. So I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to get to work. I got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, again, like I said, this is going to be a, a, another like two-part series, even though this is, whole thing has been like a seven-part series. Uh, so I, I, I'm thinking next week we'll be done. I know I said that the past three weeks, but uh, let's pray. Let's get to work. There's a lot of stuff to take a look at. Father, we ask you right now that you would help us. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. So, Father, I ask you right now that you would just come in this place. Uh, open our eyes to your word. I pray that as we approach your word, that we'd be humble with regard to it. That we would recognize that oftentimes pride, arrogance, a sense of we have the knowledge of the truth and we're arrogant is just as much of a part of demonic activity as the blatant. Father, help us to be aware of the all-pervasiveness of evil in this world. And that's why we need to run to Jesus. He's the only one who is not of this world. He's the only one who has come into this world. It's perfect, it's pure, undefiled, untainted by the dragon. He's the dragon slayer. So God, I pray right now that you'd help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to look to him, to trust him, to try to understand what the gospel does in our lives to transform us, transform the way that we think, transform the way that we live our lives. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Okay, the first thing that we're going to jump into right now is basically the first one that we're going to look at this morning, which is actually part number two. Again, like I said, this is sort of uh, the second device to help us overcome demonic warfare, spiritual warfare. Uh, that's why when you look at the slide, it's going to say two. is because we looked at number one last week. So this will say number two. The first one is this, is to live according to the new nature. So again, last week, uh, we need Jesus. Jesus, first of all, is the dragon slayer. We look to Jesus. He uh, conquers the dragon. Secondly, if you're a Christian, uh, you need to understand that the way that you continue to fight the dragon, to overcome evil, to push back darkness, to promote light, first and foremost, is basically, again, this is, this is not extravagant. This is not hocus pocus. This is not just some sort of like 14-hour prayer meeting where people are levitating, things are flying through the air. This is as simple as this, live according to new nature, all right? And, and this might sound sort of anticlimactic, because oftentimes, again, when people talk about spiritual warfare, there tends to be sort of this radical spin about radical craziness that ends up going on. And again, I, I personally believe that that's, again, one of the ways in which the enemy tries to get us off on another rabbit trail where we forget to look at the simplicity of the way that he oftentimes affects us and affects our life and affects the world in which we live in. That trifecta, that world, the flesh, and the devil, all right? So what we're going to look at right now is to live according to the new nature. That is really remedy number two. So my first appeal to you to say that if you want to experience uh, help in the area of spiritual warfare, 
is to basically to do what Paul said, which is to live according to the new life by which you have been brought into. So what does that mean? As basically, we've got to get to some, a fundamental question, which is this. What is a Christian? Or what is the new life? I understand maybe some of you might be like, this is kind of like Christianese. I know. You know, when people say, be a Christian, when people say, walk according to the new life, when people say, walk in the Spirit, um, sometimes that means we need a little bit of a defining, and I want to try to define that for you. So I want to kind of go back a little bit and ask sort of the more fundamental question, which is, what does it mean to be a Christian? How does the Bible describe uh, becoming a Christian like? So I want to appeal to what Paul has to say, which is in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And here's what Paul basically says. I'll read it to you, and I'll explain it to you. He says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us in the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So here's what I want you to understand. The way Paul uh, basically lays out in sort of a concise form of what a Christian is, a Christian is two things. One, he is somebody that has been delivered out of a domain, a darkness, or a domain of, of evil, or of wickedness, or of power. And then he says, and they've been brought into, the second thing is they've been brought into a kingdom of righteousness. So if you could look at it this way, I, I kind of think of it this way. When the children of Israel lived in uh, Jerusalem, lived in Israel, uh, the ancient Babylonians came in and they basically transferred Daniel and his host of friends from one kingdom, one domain, one area into another domain. Okay? In some particular way, that's how salvation takes place. What Jesus does, what God does through Jesus, is he takes people out of this domain of darkness. The two words that are actually used there, uh, in terms of the, the negative, the domain of darkness, is exousia, means literally like a realm or a domain or an area or a zone. And yet, you're taken out of this domain, area, realm, zone, and brought into not just the domain, area, realm, zone, but into an actual kingdom. Basilia is the actual Greek word there. And the distinction is, one, this realm, zone, area, domain is governed by darkness, by evil, by wickedness. And the other is the kingdom is governed by the king. Jesus is the king. So what you need to understand, if you're a Christian, what fundamentally happened in you, for you, in your life, is that you were once a part of the system that's in darkness. You're, you were once a part of the darkness in this world. Now you might have looked at your life and been like, I was always moralistically pure. I memorized the Ten Commandments. If Jesus was not your Lord and Savior, if he was not your God, if you did not worship him, if you did not delight in him, see him as ultimate over all things, maybe if you were trusting in your religiousness, or if you were just a straight-up evil person, remember, there will be people in outer darkness that are both wicked, evil sinners, as well as religious Pharisees. Okay, So it's not an issue of who did the worst sin, but sometimes the issue is who acts the most righteous, who thinks that they're the most uh, moralistically pure. Those people can be the most arrogant and the people that will ultimately find themselves or are the most deceived. That's to whom Jesus is talking to, oftentimes amongst the scribes and the Pharisees, is even though these people appear to be righteous, appear to memorize scripture, appear to have been the fundamental Bible teachers of the day, he describes them as being in darkness. That ought to shock some of us, especially if you were brought up in a Christian home, you memorize scripture, you know the religious talk, when people start throwing down 
you know, Christian terms and stuff like that, and you understand, you're like, I talk just like that myself, and I wear the Christian t-shirts, and I got Christian bumper stickers, and my mom has a Thomas Kincaid painting. Beware. I mean, beware. I mean, the reality is that you could be part of that deception unless you understand what really happened. A Christian is somebody who Jesus has brought out of this domain of darkness and brought into his kingdom, his domain. And what that means is once you were part of the old domain, the old realm, you just lived according to what Paul says in Ephesians, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the son of di- sons of disobedience. You just did what came natural. So phrases when people use, and they just say, you know, I, my existence is based upon how I feel. I live according to my own self Governance, my own autonomy. What I'm trying to say is that is the rule of the kingdom of this world. It's not the rule of the kingdom of God. So the rule of the kingdom of God is is diametrically opposed to that. The rule of the kingdom of this world is darkness. It leads to darkness. People take advantage of people. People hurt other people. People ruin the world, ruin the environment, ruin other lives in that old domain under the darkness. And yet Jesus comes to seek and save those that are in the darkness. So if you want to look at it this way, what Jesus did is he was sent on a rescue mission into the depths of darkness, went into the place where everybody was deceived and rescued people. Pulled them out of that darkness and sort of this undercover operation and brought you into this kingdom of light. And in this new kingdom, there's a new government. There's a new rule because there's a new king. So here's the question that comes next, I think, is the next slide, is just in case we're wondering, which we should, gosh, what's the king like in this new kingdom, all right? Uh, Paul goes on, and he says this in verse 15. Uh, He begins to describe what the new king is like. So again, if you are brought, if you're Christian, you're brought into a new kingdom, uh, the first probably best question you'd want to ask is, wonder what the king's like. How, How strong is he? How powerful is he? Is he like the old king? Is he evil like the old king? Does he take advantage of his subjects like the old king? Does he overtax like the old king? Does he ruin lives like the old king? Does he uh, confiscate land and materials just like the old king? Or is he a different king? So Paul's basically already anticipating questions in people's mind. He says, I'll tell you who the king is. I'll tell you what the king's like. Here's what he says. He says, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. And then now he's going to begin to give us some identity, even further identity, hashing this out in verse 16. Um, just in case we understand, so that we don't get in our mind this misconception that the old kingdom, the old domain, I should say, that was governed by Satan and his demonic forces, just so that we don't fall prey to a misconception that the kingdom of darkness is just as powerful as the kingdom of light. It's not. It's not. Now, Satan would love for you to think that. In fact, he's really good at kind of deceiving people to cause people to think that. It's one of the reasons why I think a lot of times Christians... Uh, in fear, think, oh no, what are we going to do? Satan's really dangerous, and we should run. And the reality is, there's two major mistakes we can fall into. One is where we run out of this, you know, just fear of that, and rather than trusting Christ, the other is we become prideful and arrogant. We're just like, we're going to just go kick some demon rear end. And the reality is, both are demonic responses. One is full of pride, the other is full of disbelief. See what I'm saying? So again, we we have to realize this, the world of flesh and the devil are so intricately 
tainted by deception and demonic forces that we really just don't have any other place to turn or trust except Christ. That's really what I'm trying to say is this. Okay? So with that being said, uh, Paul goes on to give us some more description of what Christ is, basically reading Christ's resume. He wants us to understand how Christ stacks up compared to the old forces and powers that were at work in the world, present darkness of the world system. Here's what he says, verse 16. By him, by Jesus, were all things created that were in heaven, that are on earth, invisible and invisible, whether, by thro- whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Jesus. So he wants us to understand, first and foremost, Jesus created even these powers, these powers, these principalities. He created them all. Now the reality is, Jesus created them as angels. They became demonic forces or demonic beings through rebellion. So what ultimately happened was when Jesus created all the angels, one of them, one of the, probably one of the most beautiful of all the angels, named probably Lucifer, uh, decided in his heart that he would be like God, is what some of the Old Testament passages uh, describe. He was lifted up with pride. He basically revolted against God. We're told throughout the scriptures that he brings down one-third of the other created angels of God. And now he's at work trying to bring about further destruction. But what basically Paul wants us to understand here is that Jesus, his whole point is this, is that created thing is not greater than creator. Created thing is lesser than creator. But there's a little bit of a side note that I think is really important to note, is that even though Satan was created ultimately by Jesus, and even though Satan brought down one-third of the demons, what you need to understand is that Demons aren't multiplying. They're not having like little baby demons. All right? Coochie, coochie, coo, little baby demon. They're not multiplying. There's not more of them arising up around us. Uh, Jesus said that Satan, demons, do not uh, have, you know, any type of uh, sexual encounter. They're not male. They're not female. They are created, and they were created once, and that's it. And one-third of them had fallen. So get this. That means one-third of all of the created angels have fallen, but that means two-thirds are still on God's team. So here's the point, is that they're not multiplying. There's not more of them coming. Satan would love to cause us to think they just, their numbers keep growing, they're multiplying. They're not. The point is, is because Jesus created them once and for all, their number's set. The second thing is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus is head of all principality and power. Again, Paul is trying to establish an order system, an order structure. Jesus is the head. Satan is subordinate. Do you know that ultimately Satan will have to bow to Jesus? That just simply means that even though he will not be saved, there is no redemption for fallen angels, but he must confess, must recognize that Jesus ultimately is supreme and Lord over him? That's the reality. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says this, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them. What I love about this is I think Paul adopts 
language from the day and brings it in the gospel and the message that he writes. What I mean by that is Paul was familiar with basically the pomp and the arrogance of Rome. And, you know, when Caesar would go into a city and he would basically either make deals with some of the religious or with some of the leaders, I should say, of the city, you know, people would either, you know, bow before Caesar. But if it was somebody who was obstinate and they kind of put up a fight and they fought against Caesar and at some point they were going to just kind of give in, usually what Caesar would oftentimes do is he would come in great pomp and great glory. He would, you know, have one of his generals throw this fallen king down at his feet. The first thing that a Caesar would do is he would put his foot on the neck of the fallen leader. And it was basically a show of great humiliation uh, of the, or for the person that's on the ground because he's realized he's defeated. He's destroyed. It's finished for him. And Paul uses this imagery to basically say, this is exactly what Jesus has done with Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. He is completely destroyed. In fact, quite to the opposite, one of the greatest ways by which you take back uh, terrain that has been devoted to an enemy is you don't just take it and burn it, you redeem it. And so I think one of the greatest ways by which Jesus, this is where the gospel gets really exciting, and the possibilities for the gospel advancing gets really amazing, is because one of the ways by which Jesus continues to move and show and demonstrate that Satan is a defeated foe, is get this, is by Christians, people who are made in God's image, people that are walking according to the new nature that are in Christ, they're living according to the nature, we go out in God's power, in God's strength, And we take territory that was once under the domain of the dragon, and we redeem it. Let me give you some examples of this. This is personally why. I get super excited about this, and the church had kind of gone through a season of maybe, I don't know, 50 some odd years, however long, where things like the arts and things like movies and things of that nature basically were viewed as evil, you know, that Hollywood is sort of this, you know, ominous evil, we just got to get away from it, so Christians kind of pulled away, tried to escape as best as they can, and basically what was going on is evil was just promoting itself within its own sphere, and yet to be quite frank with you, if we understand Christianity properly, if we understand what Jesus is ultimately trying to do in pushing back darkness is he takes people that are redeemed, remade in the image of Christ, transforms them, and then sends them back out into the world, and they take back the territory that was once owned and possessed by the dragon. And they use that territory now to exalt Christ. That doesn't mean, let me just say this real quick, that doesn't mean that we create Christian subculture, and we create cheesy Christian movies that appeal to nobody except a very small slice of Christians in the South. All right. It means, though, that we use the creativity and the artistic beauty that God has gifted us with to use our talents to go into these areas that were once dominated by this ominous evil. We breathe life into it. We breathe life into it. We use the creativity that God's given us. If you're an, art, if you're, if you're an author, if you write books, doesn't mean that you write, you know, books about, you know, little statements of Jesus here and there. You can. This is one of the things I love about the distinction between, like, C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, is they both convey the gospel in their stories. One is more anonymous than the other. Tolkien's very anonymous, but the gospel's so there. Whereas C.S. Lewis was a little bit more open, more profoundly open with the message. 
But what I loved about these guys is they were able to take this beautiful ability of art and use it in a way to convey the message in their best-selling books forever, right? So my point is that is people that are renewed by Christ and walking according to the new nature of Christ, what you're doing is you're pushing back darkness. You're taking territory that was once owned and possessed by the dragon because Christ is using you as an re- agent of renewal to transform the culture around us. Now the reality is, this all started at the resurrection when Jesus rose again from the dead. So what I'm trying to say is this, is what we need to understand first and foremost is that the way that we push back the darkness, the way that evil is combated in our lives is not by flesh and blood. It's not by us going out protesting. It's not by Christians fighting in some sort of a physical engagement or a battle. In fact, we need to be way more creative and we need to understand the enemy. And the way that we understand the enemy, the way that we understand the means which Christ has engaged us with and helped us with so that we can go out is he's equipped us with a new life. So in summary is this, if you're a Christian, what that means is God has taken you from this darkness in this world and he's brought you into his new life where the old darkness, there were old rules that governed the world. In the new life, in God's kingdom, there's new rules that govern this kingdom. Jesus is a good king, so you have a good leader, you have a good head, good boss. He loves you. In fact, he's your father. He loves you. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's cleansed you. Jesus is, you know, read the credentials. Jesus also has this great ability to overcome all evil because he's greater than evil. He actually created Satan, created the demons prior to their falling themselves. Jesus is all powerful. That's your Lord. That's your Savior. So the point of the matter is, is by understanding this, we walk according to the new nature and things will begin to change. So with that being said, there's two things I want for us to understand with regard to this. And the first of which is that by living according to nature, one, we walk in the spirit. Now here's some more Christianese I want to try to unpack for you. Again, Christians can say stuff like this, like, ah, oh, I just walk in the spirit. Other people are like, what are you talking about? What does that mean, walk in the spirit? Well, again, try to think of it this way. If you live first century, Caesar was king, Caesar was lord, you'd say we walk according to the rules of Caesar. You don't live according to Caesar's rule per se. You live according to God's rules. And in God's kingdom, in God's authority, in God's kingdom, God's authority And the new relationship he's brought us into is not according to the letter of the law. It's according to the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. So his whole point of trying to delineate this and to say, we walk according to the Spirit. We live according to the Spirit's leading. That means we just ask God, God, how do you want me to follow you? Lord, what does your word say? How can I live according to you? We ask these questions in our lives. That's what a Christian is. That's how we live according to the new nature. Here's what Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 says. Uh, again, this is going back a couple verses from what we've just been looking at. It says this in verse 10. He says, So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, in all endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So take a look at the passage. What I want you guys to understand is when you read your Bibles, oftentimes the answers are usually there. So when you 
read a passage like this and you read a phrase that maybe you're not familiar with. It says, walk in the Spirit. You're like, what does walk in the Spirit mean? Before you go out and you grab your concordance or you go do a Google search, whatever, you're like, what does walk in the Spirit mean? Ask your pastor, whatever. Take a look at the verse. What does the verse have to say? Typically, again, when Paul's writing this, he's writing this as sort of a self-contained letter for people that are reading this to, try, to help them understand. In other words, when Paul says a phrase, walk in the Spirit, He's also going to give them the instruction to show them what does walk in the Spirit mean. So here's what Paul means. Walking in the Spirit means being fully pleasing to God. Walking in the Spirit means bearing fruit. It means increasing in the knowledge of God. It means being strengthened by God's power. It means giving thanks to God the Father or worship. That's what it all means. So if you're like, what does walking in the Spirit mean? It means all of this. That, that's the point. of it, You're living according to the new life that's in you. Here's the last thing I want to say with regard to this, move on to the next point, is this. Jesus literally lived this. Right, if, you, if you take a look at this, Jesus was always pleasing the Father. Jesus always bore fruit. Jesus always increased and knew the knowledge of God, was walking with God. Jesus was always being strengthened by God's power. That's why he's always saying things like, I only do that which the Father tells me to do because the Father provides. Pa- Father gives me the power. Jesus was always giving thanks to the Father. All right, he was always giving thanks to the Father. So when we talk about living according to the new nature, basically what we mean is this. You live by the same consistent power that Jesus himself lives. If you want to put it this way, Jesus was the first spirit-filled Christian. All right? In, in reality, if you really want to try to get down further for it, any type of good discussion or study on the gifts of the Spirit or upon the power of the Spirit has to start with Jesus. Jesus was baptized by the Spirit. Jesus walked in the Spirit. Jesus lived in the Spirit. Jesus did everything in the Spirit. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus ever give into the flesh? Did Jesus ever give into the world? Did Jesus ever give into the devil? Would you say Jesus lived victorious? Absolutely. So when we talk about Christians living victorious, when we talk about Christians pushing back darkness, when we talk about Christians overcoming spiritual attacks, spiritual warfare, Basically, fundamentally, we're talking about you walking according to the new rules, the new life that exists because you have a new king, because you're no longer part of the old system, because you have a new way of seeing things, because you have a new way of viewing things, you have a new worldview, you view the world differently than the way that you viewed the world before, because Christ has given you life. Does that make sense? That's how we push back the darkness, all right? So what I want to do real quick is I want to say something real fast before we jump on to the very next thing is this. I find it really curious that as you look at most of the things that Paul the Apostle talks about, for example, Paul talks about like in the book of Corinthians, he describes a group of people, he says, you guys have dissension among yourself. I find it interesting that all of that is part of spiritual demonic warfare. But even though all of these are part of the great deception of the dragon, Nowhere does Paul ever say, you guys, the way that you deal amongst yourself as a Corinthian church and the dissension that's going on in your church is to get everybody together and you rebuke the spirit of dissension. He doesn't say that. In fact, Paul, quite to the opposite, says, look, if there's dissension among you, somebody needs to repent. Somebody needs to deal with their sinfulness. Somebody needs to deal with their sinful proclivities, their sinful attitudes, their sinful actions. Somebody needs to confess, repent, and someone needs to offer forgiveness. 
That's, in other words, the foothold that allows demonic activity to go in there. But what I want you to understand is this, is that even though demonic activity is always at work amongst us, sometimes in the most simplistic type ways that we oftentimes would overlook and say, ah, it's demonic, it is demonic. There are demonic activities going on. And what we need to understand is that the way that the Apostle Paul urges us to deal with those things is to not go around with arrogance and pride rebuking demons of lust and rebuking demons of apathy and rebuking demons of dissension. Instead, Paul's solution is to say, if there's lust, repent. Change your life. Stop getting on internet porn. If you have hatred in your heart, confess sin. Confess the fact that you're angry with somebody. If there's dissension, you guys need to learn how to get along. Love each other. Let love rule and reign. So what I'm trying to point out is this, is that the answers to the questions of demonic warfare are way more oftentimes less hocus pocus than we oftentimes are looking for. Because sometimes people are like, you know what? I want to do spiritual warfare. Our battle takes sword and spirit. I'll go fight. I'll go kick some demon, you know, tail. And the reality is, is that the answer from the Apostle Paul to you would be to say, you want to fight? You want to attack demons? You want to be victorious? Here's the best way for you to do it. Here's the way you push back darkness. Here's the way you push back spiritual demonic attack. Is first of all, you close yourself with humility and you ask God to show you any areas of sin in your life and you repent of those things. I know, it's not extravagant. But I'll tell you what, it's actually far more difficult to do that, isn't it? To humble yourself, to actually look at the fact that there may be people in your life right now that you have great malice, great anger, great bitterness towards. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that that is an open door in your life for demonic activity. That's it. You want to avoid that? You want to push that back? You want to get rid of the darkness? You want to dispel it? You got to confess sin. Sin is far more insidious than we can ever imagine. This Jesus knows where sin takes us. It leads to destruction. This is why Jesus takes sin so seriously. I hope we do too. The next thing I want you to take a look at is this. We're wrapping this up here. The second thing is this. Is one, we've got to walk according to the Spirit. The second thing is this. We want to resist the devil. Um, this phrase, resist the devil, is actually a phrase that gets used uh, on, on at least three main verses. Uh, we're only going to look at one today. Uh, next week, we're going to finish this up. Um, is... It deals with this idea of withstanding, standing opposed to it. Um, how many of you guys right now this time of year uh, have allergies? Anybody? Gnarly allergies? Yeah, my wife gets them. And uh, typically what you do when you have really bad allergies, you take uh, drugs that are called antihistamines, right? And what these antihistamines do, I'll tell you a little bit. You guys didn't know that you're going to come in and have a little biology study. Uh, it's free. Um, what typically happens is when you go outside and you breathe in deep and you get these like pollens or, uh, you know, different things like pathogens that come into your body, they usually obviously make their way into your nose. And inside your nose, you have these uh, receptors and these responses that are constantly going on. And the response that takes place to all these pollens uh, that are finding their way into your nose um, your body creates these things or actually has on hand sort of this big massive army and they're called um, uh, histamines. 
And what they do is they surround these pollens and these pathogens, and they basically begin to attack. And part of the uh, response is your body, you know, creates an excessive, excessive amount of mucus, and, you know, you get watery eyes, and you got to keep blowing your nose, and it gets all nasty, and nobody likes that. In fact, nobody likes shaking hands with you after you've just blown your nose, so don't do that. And we have Perel all around here because we totally don't like germs, but um, the reality is that what, what people try to do to combat that is they take an antihistamine, and the antihistamine does, it's basically, it's, an, it's a drug that goes into your body and basically tells the histamines to relax. Like, that's all cool. Don't worry about it. You know, what happens is these guys are like, oh, okay, cool, no, no worries. So they stop attacking, and what ends up happening is, you know, you, you stop having runny noses, all right? That makes make sense? That's what happens. So you're like, why is he telling me this? Okay, I'll tell you why. Um, take a look at the next slide. Take a look at the next slide. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 7 says this. James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word resist, literally in the Greek, is antihistamine. Literally. It's the actual Greek word antihistamine. We get the English word from that. And it basically means to stand against, to push back, to stand opposed to something. That's why your Bible translations might say resist. Does anybody else have anything different than resist? I think it's unanimous. It says resist. Because that's what the word means, to stand opposed, to push back something. And it's, again, language that refers to there's a battle, there's a tension, there's a push back. But what we want to try to do is withstand and yet hold our ground, but even more so than just hold our ground in terms of, of an, uh, a defensive. But we want to push forward in, in offensive. So the language that he uses here is to submit yourselves to God. So again... Um, if you're not a Christian, this is where it breaks down. You can't do this. Therefore, you can't understand what it means to resist the devil and he will flee from you. These two things go hand in hand. This is why, you know, answer number one or solution number one is you need Jesus because Jesus is the dragon slayer. Uh, the second reason is to walk according to the new nature. You can't walk according to the new nature unless you have a new nature, unless you have a new king who resides and presides over your life. And this is what basically James is trying to convey here, is that if you want to push back the kingdom of darkness in your life and the evil that's in your life, in other words, do spiritual warfare, you have to understand what it means to resist. So with that being said, sometimes one of the best ways to understand what a particular word means is to understand the opposite of what the word doesn't mean. So in other words, if we're to say this, ask the question, what does resist mean? If we were to turn it around and say, well, what does non-resistance look like? What does it mean to not resist? So take a look at this. If we were to take the verse and sort of invert it, non-resistance would look something like this. It would mean to submit ourselves to this monolithic working of the world flesh and the devil. That's what it means. So in other words, if you're looking at your life, and you're like, I'm attacked by the devil. I feel spiritual attack. I feel defiled. And if you're a Christian, and you want to resist, you have to take a look at this and say, and ask yourself the question, are you in non-resistance? Are you in an area of non-resistance? Are you surrendering to the desires of the flesh? In other words, when you feel angry, and rather than taking that anger to God and confessing that to God, when you feel passions that rise up inside of you that are vindictive in their nature, and instead of taking those to God and surrendering them and saying, Lord, I, I don't want to live like this, 
Do you just give into those things? Do you just surrender to those things? That's non-resistance. Do you give into the flesh? Do you give into the world? Do you just sort of accept things in this world as they are and do nothing about it? That's non-resistance. When the dragon comes and he tempts you through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the prideful boasting of life, do you just give into it? Do you just surrender to it? That's non-resistance. You guys get in the picture? Thank you. I feel super supported. Um, resistance means to say, I won't give into the world sinful proclivities and the temptations of the devil. I'll surrender to God. I'll submit to his way. I'll submit to his governance. I'll submit to his kingdom. You guys, listen to this. That's spiritual warfare. Do you understand that? If your thought, spiritual warfare, is some sort of hocus pocus, wild crazy, casting demons out, slapping people on the head, flicking your coat at people, and just yelling at people, if that's your mentality of some sort of like demonic casting out of evil, I'm telling you, evil, wickedness, the dragon is far more insidious and deceptive than you can ever imagine. And the way you push back the darkness is you don't surrender to the world, the flesh, and the devil. You submit to God. You submit to his kingdom reign. You submit to the new rules that govern the life of a new believer. Rather than walking in the flesh like Galatians says, Galatians chapter 5, I think he says, the, we walk according to the Spirit. We submit our affections, our attention, our lives over to God. And we let God rule and reign and not the world, not the flesh, not the devil, not evil proclivities in our lives, but God. We submit ourselves to him. That is what resistance means. Non-resistance is just submitting to those three that are constantly at waging war against us. I hope you guys are living that. If you're not a Christian here, like I said earlier, what you need more than anything today is you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Because only Jesus can free you and save you from the darkness. I said this last week, that every other thing in this world that we look to, trust in, hope in, that somehow will drive back darkness, push back evil, reform the wickedness in this world, is all a double agent. It's all been in the workings of the dragon himself it's all been tainted it all has some level of evil in it and yet to trust in christ would be to say jesus you alone are the only one that's never been tainted by evil you've never been seduced by the dragon you've always been good righteous and perfect and you came to save me which means to rescue me from darkness and to deposit me into the kingdom of your son where there's new rules new government a new king, and one day, a new heavens and a new earth. I want to finish right now, and I want to ask if you guys have any questions, and then we're going to uh, spend some time worshiping, spend some time remembering what Christ did for us on the cross. We'll be partaking communion together. We'll give our tithes and our offerings. If you're one of our guests, this is, you don't have to give if you don't want to. It's a way for those that call this their church to give joyfully and generously because they love Jesus. Um, but I'm going to ask you guys right now, if you guys have any questions, um, feel free to ask any questions. 
And uh, I'll try to answer them. Just make sure that they're on spiritual warfare type stuff. Some of you guys have emailed me some good stuff over the past few weeks. Um, if you guys have any questions, this is your opportunity. So, fire away. I hear crickets. Anybody? It's a great question. Um, I think in the most practical way, it would mean it just simply say... What was the question? Oh, sorry. The question was, uh, how, how do you... Yeah. You're like... <laughs> okay. I submit to you, Lord. Um, it means to do exactly what I just did. Just submit to that voice. Um, the question was, how do, we, how do we practically submit to God? How do we practically submit to God? Um, I would say it, it really simply boils down to just us uh, bringing our will in accordance with God's. In other words, we oftentimes act as autonomous beings. We do what we want to do. We say what we want to say. We act the way that we want to act. Um, we oftentimes resist and fight any type of governance over us. Um, and, and to submit would be to be able to say, hypostasis is the actual Greek word. It means to be under. We put ourselves under God. And um, it's kind of the same idea, you know, one nation under God. It's the idea of being under something. Um, and the point that I would make is that to submit ourselves to God would be to just say, I will put myself under his authority, his reign, his kingdom. Let his thoughts be my thoughts. We sang at the beginning of the uh, service, um, you know, like the kingdom of heaven is now advancing. The Lord's prayer is a, is a great example of submitting ourselves to God's kingdom. Um, it's, it's saying that, Lord, your kingdom come, and my kingdom goes. That's the way I'd say it. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, the question is, uh, is the book of Job like a book on spiritual warfare? Or is there spiritual warfare elements in it? Now, I'm going to tell you this. Um, your whole Bible, your whole Bible is a book on spiritual warfare. Um, too oftentimes, we think of spiritual warfare passages only being Ephesians. It's wrong. The whole Bible is a book on spiritual warfare. Evil um, is in the garden. Eve submits, rather than God, she submits to the dragon. Understand that? And the rest of the unfolding drama of the Bible is the story of redemption. The rest of the story. Uh, Israel has moments of submitting to God, moments of submitting to the dragon. Um, when the dragon comes in, he tries to kill the seed. Um, you see this in the recurring habits, this habitual sin going on. Um, the Bible may not talk, again, especially in certain sections of the Old Testament, about all sorts of flagrant spiritual-type warfare-type scenarios. That sort of becomes more doctrinal in the New Testament. But no doubt the themes are throughout the Bible. The whole Bible is a story of spiritual warfare, of Jesus coming in and rescuing out of the darkness, changing our fundamental nature and character 
and depositing us back into the world to go back into the darkness to bring light. So the whole Bible, yeah, is Job is included in that. Anybody else? I'll take one more. Wanna here, hold on, he's gonna he'll let you uh, use the mic here, so I might have I might <laughs> and by the way, while while he's thinking this, if you guys have more questions you wanna um email me, just uh just you can Facebook them to me or something like that, would be great. I'd be happy to try to answer them. Maybe I'll write them up on my blog if, if they're a lot of the same ones. Go ahead. Talked about spiritual warfare and we should be less concerned with out there, the evil out there and more concerned with the evil in here. And the word says, judge not, lest ye be judged. And, you know, con- be concerned with the, don't be concerned with the speck in your brother's eye, but the log in your own eye. But how concerned should we be with not necessarily judging another person, but maybe judging their actions or their words? Should we have some concern for that? If we see especially within the body. If we see someone that's maybe saying something that's not doctrinally correct or doing something that maybe is not, and we're not necessarily judging them, but we are maybe wanting to help correct them or point out what's going on so that maybe other people won't be deceived or fooled or follow down that road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically what I I would say is, one, you got to be really careful about the darkness that's in you still. Even as a Christian, um, that's why John's perpetually writing to his little audience of people saying, little sheep, walk in light as he is in the light. Because we always have that perennial temptation to walk in darkness. Everything is pulling us into darkness. The world is tempting us into darkness. The dragon is tempting us by the lust of the eyes of the flesh. So always be careful of the darkness that is evident inside you. Um, secondly, I would say, yes, we are we are called to expose darkness, for sure. But again, um, traditionally what I oftentimes see is the way some Christians view exposing darkness is actually they're exposing darkness by darkness. They're arrogant, prideful, and just full of uh, this us and them mentality of we're better than them. At least it comes away, it comes through in the way they blog and write and do stuff and say things. And really what you're doing is, I, I, I look at it this way, it's like you're shooting you're shooting evil with the bullets Satan's providing. And you're not pushing back darkness. You're actually promoting more. And the, the way you combat that is you're humble. And you deal with it in a very humble way. Uh, like Paul says, um, taking into consideration yourself, lest you yourself fall. Again, even like what Jesus said, you referenced. Um, be aware of the plank in your own eye before you go start looking at the speck in other people's eyes. Uh, the point is, I think, is very clearly, in a very poignant way, Jesus was a master storyteller in that way, to be able to say, look, um, you, you're looking at the evil in your next-door neighbor, and, and you see it as, like, really bad, so bad, so, you know, you got to blog about it, write about it, tell everybody else about it. But little do you know, you actually have a log in your own. So I take that to, to mean the evil that I may so well see in you is multiplied in me. Maybe the reason why I see it so well in you I'm so familiar with it myself. And I don't know how to say it other than to say, we got to be humble. and Otherwise, we're shooting the enemy's bullets. And we're really not pushing back darkness. We're just being a part of it. I'm going to pray. And we're going to uh, worship and pray 
sing to God, confess. I basically just want to convey to you guys the seriousness of recognizing the insidious nature of sin. Look at it this way. There are little windows and doors that we leave open. Those are the areas in which the enemy comes in, affects, attacks, destroys, ruins. And the way that we stop that, the way that darkness pushed back, pushed back in our lives is resistance. Non-resistance is to just give into it. Next week, we'll look more into non-resistance and resistance. But today, let's start by taking a look at what we have right now on our plate, right in front of us, through Scripture, through God's Word, through the light, through revelation of the Scripture, to say, how are we submitting to Christ right now? How are we submitting to His reign, to His kingdom, His domain? How are our responses lining up with the responses of God? In areas that are not in sync with God, it's where we confess them to God. The Bible says we confess our sin to Him. He's faithful and just to cleanse us and wash us, restore us. But honestly, guys, I don't know how to say this in any other way other than to just simply describe the fact that if we're arrogant, if we just simply do not pause to look at the evil and the wickedness in our own hearts and our own simple proclivities and to pronounce those and to confess them for what they are and to confess them to Christ who alone can take them away who alone can bring cleansing we just keep living in further darkness and that perpetuates itself by the own arrogance that's in our own hearts even further we become more critical of everybody we look down our nose at everybody who's not like us just part of the more darkness we want for us to be a church that pushes back darkness by surrendering to the light by the way James puts it to submit yourselves to God resist the devil he'll flee from you Father help us now we pray in this room to begin by pushing back darkness in the most simplistic ways by searching our heart confessing sin confessing arrogance anything in our lives Lord that is not like Christ that is not like Jesus that does not bring glory to your name Father bring us to Christ draw us into a humble submission to him as our Savior and our Lord. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you. Take all this information we've learned right now, and Lord, let it be transformed in our hearts into affection, where we love you. We just, we're just thankful, God. Our, our song would be one of, of thankfulness because darkness is, even though it once wasn't just around us, but it permeated us. Jesus, you pulled us out. It may still be around us, but it doesn't permeate us anymore. It's not us. We are not it. We're in a new kingdom. New king. New desires. New longings. New heart. One day, a new heavens and a new earth. Father, for now, help us to fight the battle by resisting. Just like Jesus resisted. For your glory, we worship you and sing to you now.